Unlocking Empathy, Your Superpower for Strategic Advantage, featuring Maria Ross. Join acclaimed speaker and author Maria Ross as she explores the transformative power of empathy in leadership and business. Learn what empathy is and isn't and how to leverage it for success. From enhancing diversity and inclusion to boosting sales, discover the strategic advantage of empathy. Let Maria inspire you to practice empathy beyond work, enriching your relationships and communities. Connect, thrive, and succeed with empathy. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Let me tell you a little bit about the guests that we have here today. Maria Ross, founder of Red Slice, is a seasoned speaker and author, renowned for promoting empathy in business. Her work spans over 15 years with diverse clients from startups to nonprofits. She's authored books like The Empathy Edge and hosts a similarly named podcast. Her insights have been featured in major media outlets, Based in San Francisco, she enjoys family time, fitness, and trivia game shows. I am so pleased to help welcome Miss Maria Ross. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm great. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show. It's an honor to have you here. And I'm thrilled for you to be here because empathy is one of those things that we all need. We all need to hone in and make that a primary skill, right? And it can affect us in so many different areas of life for enhancement in how we show up in the world. So Mm -hmm. this is a fabulous topic to bring up. But let's get started by sharing with the audience a little bit more about who you are and your background. Sure. Well, I am a speaker, an author, a leadership trainer, and what I like to call an empathy advocate. And I'm also a mom. Uh, I'm a mom to a nine-year-old boy, and I'm a mom to a rescue fur baby, and I've been with my husband for uh, almost 18 years now. So uh, as you mentioned, I live in the San Francisco Bay Area. And I'm, the work I'm doing now is an outcrop of the work that I was doing for more than 15 years on my in my own consultancy. Before I started my own consultancy, I had a long career in management consulting, marketing, and branding, both on the client and the agency sides. And then I went off on my own in 2008, and I was serving clients to help them build an irresistible brand story and brand message. And I loved doing that work. I was doing it for corporations. I was doing it for solopreneurs. Um, But that was kind of around the time that I started really embracing and understanding that empathy is what makes marketers great. It's their superpower. And it was something that I started to realize in working with a coach that was actually my superpower as well in building relationships within any organization that I was in, in building relationships with my clients. Um, And then I had a, a personal 
trauma that happened uh, right after I started my own business where I had a ruptured brain aneurysm that almost killed me. And Cliff Notes version, <laughs> I survived, um, had a long recovery from that, a miraculous recovery from that. And I was struck by how much empathy played a role in my healing and my recovery, especially within the organization, University of Washington Medical Center in Seattle at the time, that had helped me heal. And I realized that they as an organization were leveraging empathy to be more successful. They were leveraging empathy to have better patient outcomes, to communicate better, to you know save money, to increase revenue, all these amazing things. So I started really digging into that and as well with you know having a child, teaching them about empathy and teaching them about sharing. And I, I wrote my first book on empathy after writing some other books called The Empathy Edge. And that was really the business case for empathy to show leaders and cultures and brands how they could embrace genuine empathy to lead to radical success. The journey has really right off the bat given you some ideas and examples. And when you had the, the brain complications, this miraculous piece of life that came, you really learned more and more that it had so much to do with empathy. I love that you bring in too, that you discovered that so much of what you were experiencing, empathy was being emphasized in order to meet so many different aspects and demands of, of treating the, the patient as well as saving costs. And so it really does, you know, go out into so many different areas and it expands mm -hmm. and hits all of these different buckets yeah. to, yeah. to bring to every aspect of business. And, but primarily the client, when we start to show empathy, it's a, it's a piece of love that we are giving to someone and something, right? Yeah. And there's a lot of studies being done and conducted as you probably very well know where that's missing. Business is not going well. Patients do not want to come back. They don't feel heard. They don't feel listened to. They don't feel like they're well cared for. And so it has so much to do with that. And when we talk about empathy and the definition of it, Maria, what is the definition of empathy? What does it mean to you? I love that question because a lot of my work is debunking the myths of what empathy means, especially in a business context. So there's lots of different definitions out there. The definition of the word itself has changed over time from the 1700s to today. But really where I land is, especially in a business context, is that empathy is the ability to see, hear, and understand, and where appropriate, feel another person's perspective. And then use that information to act with compassion. So there's a couple pieces there. One is that you don't always have to be feeling what a person is feeling to be in empathy with them, to try to see things from their point of view. When I talk to executives, you know, I try to make them feel better about this is just about a method of perspective taking. It's a method of information gathering. It's trying to understand what someone else's context is so that you can move forward together. And you're not so stuck in, this is my way and this is your way and you know we, we can't communicate with each other. But the next important step is it's not just enough to have empathy or practice empathy. It's what do you do with that information that you get back from someone? And that's compassion. Compassion mm -hmm. is actually 
empathy in action. So what next step are you going to take based on the information that you're getting from someone? And it doesn't have to be a decision. It doesn't have to be, you know, this is kind of getting into the myths of empathy, but it doesn't have to mean you cave to someone's crazy demands. It doesn't have to mean you even agree with them. It's just about what is the next right step to take? Can we find common ground? Can I ask more questions? Can I just give you space to be heard? Maybe that's my action is just to listen to you. And so when we talk about this in the context of leadership and the workplace, often what I get back is, oh, well, if I'm empathetic, quality is going to slip. Or if I'm empathetic, people are just going to do whatever they want. It's going to be Lord of the Flies in here, right? And that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just a better way to interact and understand someone so that you can coach them, so you can inspire them, so you can motivate them, and so you can understand where they are in order to get the outcome that you seek, which is performance, which is innovation, which is engagement. And there's so many studies, we don't have time to cite them all here. They're in the book, The Empathy Edge, and, and the forthcoming book, The Empathy Dilemma. But what empathy gets you as an organization? For leaders, it enables you to have a more engaged workforce. They're more loyal. They innovate more. For cultures, it's more belonging, more psychological safety. Um, people will work harder. They will work longer. They may stay with an employer just because they're empathetic. And from a, a marketing perspective, from a brand, customers want to be understood and they want to know that the money they spend with your company is supporting a company that treats its people well and treats the community well as well. So there's so many benefits and so much data out there that that prove that that empathy is good for business. Well, yeah, absolutely. Especially when empathy is the bridge to compassion and all of the studies that are done on compassion and love towards fellow mm -hmm. human beings. And when we start evoking those emotions, how we we just expand in so many different aspects and it trickles mm -hmm. on to everyone around us. You know, if we go deeper into the science, all of the information that's emitted from our being is based on those feelings and mm -hmm. compassion and love are the ones that really make the biggest impact on everything that's going on around you. So these are essential keys in anything, whether it's business or personal, it's just all of it, period. And so I, I really love the way that you describe empathy because you talk about it as a sense of gathering information and that it is the first step that you take in order to open you up to other possibilities, different perspectives of of that information that you're gathering, you know, and, and yeah. meeting it, not with this aspect of, uh, you know, where you think it should be one way or this way or what have you, it takes that aside. And again, opens you up to a different perspective, which then opens you up to different ways of addressing it and responding to it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can miss so much as a leader if you don't gather different perspectives. You might be looking at a problem or challenge in one way and not seeing the gaps, not seeing the pitfalls. And so being able to be empathetic and include everyone else's perspective and voice is actually, it's been proven to show that you make better business decisions. 
when you are inclusive, when you're able to hear other points of view. And that's really what we're talking about with empathy, because we often hear about diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. But if you don't have empathy to be the fuel to make that whole engine work, you're just a bunch of people who don't see things the same way, staring at each other and disagreeing with each other across the table. Without empathy to bridge that gap of, you know, April, I want to understand your point of view and your experience and how you see this. I'm going to share with you what mine is. And together we're going to come up with an outcome that's better than we would have by ourselves. And so it really is, it's been actually named a crucial leadership and success skill for the 21st century, simply because our problems are so complex now that you cannot solve them alone. You have yeah. to solve them with people. And in order to do that, you've got to be able to build connections very quickly with people, maybe a group of people at work, maybe a group of people in your community or your neighborhood or your civic organization. And if you are too busy being defensive and fearful of other opinions and other viewpoints and other perspectives, you're never going to get anything done. It certainly makes things a lot easier, doesn't it? And <laughs> with the fast pace of how our world is going right now with technology advancing, it certainly uh, benefits us to know how to communicate effectively. It makes me think of seek first to understand, then to be understood, right? And yes. then you're creating this win-win situation. Mm -hmm. And right. so let's go back a little bit because I certainly want to know the way that you navigate a business and a culture shift, mm -hmm. because that's really what it is, right? You, mm -hmm. you you build up the leaders, you show them how, and then that's when the culture shift happens. And I would love to go into that in a moment. But first, I would love to know your experience of specifically how you felt when you first started realizing what empathy was and how mm -hmm. you were receiving it. And, you know, in turn, being able to give that to others. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny because it wasn't something I would have called empathy. I, I did realize during my career, I was very good about trying to be curious about other people. Um, way, way back early in my career when I was a management consultant, I was working with um, technologists and programmers, and I was sort of the people side of the equation. I was in change management. So I did training, I did communication planning, and I had to learn their language. I had to learn how to create those connections with them so I could get the information I need and translate that for the users, for the employees. Um, and then later in other jobs that I had, I was building bridges with groups where I was sort of told, oh, we don't, we don't talk to them or we don't, you know, fraternize with that group. And I was like, why? I'm so curious about their work and I'm curious about how they do things. And I was able to accomplish things that other people weren't able to. And I thought, well, I'm just nosy, right? And I'm just friendly and I just like to ask questions. But it took me until about 2016 when I was working with a strengths coach who uh, we did the Clifton Strengths Finder, if you're familiar with that. It's a, it's a self-assessment tool. And I was shocked to find out that one of my top five strengths was empathy because I wouldn't have said that. I would have said maybe connections or, you know, getting things done or cheering people on, which all came out. But this idea of empathy, and that's actually what sparked the research and the first book was that moment with my strengths coach, because I said, well, I don't, you know, if you ask my husband, he would say I'm not very empathetic. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was, it was this moment where we kind of parsed it out and he said, well, what have been highlights of your career and what has been highlights of your work? And we discovered this common thread and I was like, oh, I guess that's empathy, right? Empathy is about 
being genuinely curious and actively listening. And actually curiosity is the number one trait of empathic people because you don't guess, you you try to find out what someone's context is and how they see the world. And um, I thought, okay, this is cool. And that's what, what launched me into this research. That and the fact that with my brand clients, they were saying they wanted their brands to be seen as empathetic. And I'm talking like technology heavy companies, very left brain analytical CEOs. And I was like, are you sure that you want to be seen as empathetic? What does that mean to you? Like, what does empathy mean to you when you say empathetic? And it was really just that. It was about, we want, we want to be accessible. We want to be approachable. We want to connect and engage with people. So kind of all of that combined is, was this idea of like, wow, empathy is something that's greatly misunderstood but so powerful to helping us live more thriving, healthy, um, productive lives. And if we're not here on this earth to connect and engage, I'm, I don't really know why we're here. <laughs> no <laughs> kidding, right? And so, well, that being said, you you mentioned that you, it's almost like you have to, it's just like you had to learn what you thought that empathy was. You had to mm -hmm. relearn what that was, discover what it was. And so I'm curious, how much do you find yourself communicating that with other people, reteaching others mm -hmm. what it is? Because like you just mentioned, mm -hmm. people are saying, well, we want all of these things. And you're saying, great, that's empathy. <laughs> right, right. So how often do you just come into contact with that? Is it all the time? Well, it's interesting because uh, I, I have my podcast, The Empathy Edge, and every week I'm talking to a new guest that's talking about some different aspect of empathy, whether it's a C-suite leader, or it's a psychologist, or it's an author, or it's someone who's devoted to racial and social equity. Um, they're all coming at empathy and connection from different points of view. And so I'm constantly learning from them and, and citing their work in, in books and in talks. But I, I want to be really clear because I, I always get this question. I am constantly working on my empathy. I have not mastered it. I don't know if anyone really has, right? Because we're human. And so again, go ask my husband because he'd be like, mm, she's got some work to do. But that's what I mean. It's a practice. It, it's innate to us as human beings, um, barring some specific um, psychological disorders, we are born as empathetic beings. It's just sometimes that muscle atrophies for us. And I, you know, you and I have talked in the past too about this idea of like going to the empathy gym. You would never just go work out the first day and expect six pack abs, right? But you go over time and you build that muscle. And then if you stopped going, it would atrophy again. Yeah. So it's not sort of something that we check a box and we go, yep, I've mastered empathy. Like it's something we always have to practice because everyone is different and empathy is going to feel different and look different. And it's sometimes it's, it's not going to quote unquote work. It's going to feel awkward. It's going to, you know, your muscles are going to be sore <laughs> when you try it out. But I think that's the practice and that's the practice of our whole lives. And that's yeah. for me, even if I write and I speak and I do all these things around empathy, it doesn't mean that I've, I've achieved some like Zen state of being empathetic all the time because emotional triggers, right? Yeah. Past traumas, uh, environment, whether I've slept well the night before, whether I've had a decent breakfast, like all of these things impact the way we show up with yeah. other people. And am I showing up with an open mind? And without defensiveness and fear, with strength, 
in my own values and where I stand because empathy actually requires great strength? Or am I showing up with a depleted tank? And if I'm showing up with a depleted tank, there is no room for me to be empathetic. I'm too, I'm too in self-preservation mode. Yeah. And yeah. Great point. And you're, you're hundred percent. We are constantly working to evolve. It, It is work that, but it starts with the awareness of, and you know, you're developing this skill beautifully by having a podcast where you're discussing different stories and different problems and different ideas of how to meet empathy in those scenarios. And which is really always cultivating you. So Everybody should be tuning in to your podcast <laughs> that's one great way to tune in and, and meet those skills, right? Because it's on our mind and we now have the awareness of, and we can say, oh, you know, in this situation that's happening for me right now, I can play on empathy in this way mm-hmm. in order to respond in this way. And so I think that that's incredible. I love that you say that because none of us are at this really peak peak point, right? I mean, yes, we do continue to evolve and we do get better, but it is a constant practice. And because we're consistently practicing it, we will get better and better where it starts to become automatic. And that's yes. really where the, the beautiful, true growth happens. Yeah. And I love that because it's, it's, you know, there's so much work being done. I talk about it in the empathy edge. And then in my forthcoming book, the empathy dilemma, I talk about the fact that there's so many people in the world dedicated to nurturing and cultivating the empathy within young people, because again, we're born with it. And, you know, if you have a, if you have a tough childhood or you are in an environment where empathy is not modeled or rewarded or acknowledged, then, you know, that, that muscle atrophies. And so when you can work with children and build it up in them and show them and sort of make it part of their own self-identity, they would feel cognitive dissonance if they operate in any other way. And so it's this beautiful thing where maybe, you know, someday, maybe in my son's lifetime, we won't need books about empathy. We won't need podcasts about empathy because it would sort of be like, do we have books about breathing, right? We don't. And so that's my, that's my dream. That's my goal is that this becomes so innate and, and second nature within our own operating systems that we're like, why are we even talking about this? That's really cool that you bring that up because I was just mentioning that to uh, another guest or with my husband. I can't recall now. I have a lot of conversations, but the conversation was revolving around that where, Mm -hmm. you know, at some point in our, in our future, the the way that we are are brought up in this negative contest uh, it was a, it was a conversation around how we were brought up as children how our grandparents were brought up and then are we are we parenting our children the way in which we were right most parents are not they're trying right. very much in love to show up in a different way to be mm-hmm. a different sort of example for their children right to empower mm-hmm. them and give them tools to navigate this thing called life because nobody gets out without having trials and tribulations that's part of it but mm-hmm. when we can start giving our children tools like empathy that which our parents and grandparents maybe did not do because they didn't have the tools but Again, coming into a, a place of, well, guess what? At some point, that's going to be a historical thing, kind of like 
when we did public executions. And that's a for it's in the past now, right? That's something that we can remember and say, wow, we don't ever want that to happen again. And the similar thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I liken this so much to parenting. I've actually had several parenting coaches on my show. And I I don't, you know, I don't like to to liken the employee-employer relationship too much to parent and child, because that seems very patronizing. But in many ways, it is a coaching relationship. It is yeah. a mentorship relationship. And it is a, I'm creating an environment for you so that you can thrive as a human being, whether I'm your manager or I'm your mom. And so uh, there's so many parallels between that. And that I, like, I love how you just pinpointed that, because I've had this conversation with so many people about Right now, those of us going through this, this transition, this transformation in parenting, for example, I have a nine-year-old. It's why it's so hard is because it's different. We didn't grow up with it. And so when we struggle and we fall and we fail and we do, it's because it's not it, we're doing something new. We're doing something different. And like my therapist always likes to tell me, it's okay. <laughs> so, so it's the same thing with like creating a, a new leadership paradigm, a new workplace paradigm where, you know, people be like, in my day, you know, we just worked overtime and we were thankful and we, you know, we didn't expect people to respect us and respect right. our personal time. Great. We become better as human beings. Like that's the whole point is that we evolve, right? People used to, you know, put children to work at age six. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> like, so, yeah. so to change these paradigms is they are human created paradigms of leadership and management. They're not laws of physics. So we can change them if we want yeah. to, but it doesn't, to your point, it doesn't mean the struggle in the change isn't challenging. And well, we can't let that scare us. Yeah. And you're correct. This is, this is a shift. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it's a big one, too, mm -hmm. because there are a lot of leaders, especially, especially in older companies that have been around a long time. We still mm -hmm. have people who have been leading the way that they have been taught to. But really, I feel that, you know, when we talk about empathy, that is probably the big difference between leadership and managing. Yes, yeah, it's they're different. They're different roles, right? And and I get you know a lot of leaders going, oh my gosh, there's just so much more I have to do now. Like not only do I have to get my work done and make sure people perform, but now I have to listen to them. Now I have to get to know them on a personal basis. Like that's going to take so much time. But what it's going to save you in the long run, and what it's going to do for you in the long run, is worth the investment. Anything worth it is worth the investment. And and I kind of just you know I have a little bit of tough love, and I'm like, yeah, that's your job now. That's why you have a VP title is because this is what you're being expected to do now. And yeah. you can whine about it and you can complain about it, or you can use it as a catalyst to actually make your leadership experience better, to help your team perform better, and for you to accomplish the goals that you want to accomplish. And so you just might have to reprioritize your time in mm. what you're doing. That's very well said. Reprioritize your time. This is great information. We're going to go into our commercial. And when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about this and how we can start to incorporate it into our daily lives. Stay tuned. Are you ready to take control of your ride to wellness? Rev up with Driven Living. Visit www.drivenliving.com and buckle up for a journey. Get exclusive access to our Wellness Driven Life Show guest portal, where you can dive deep into the minds of our esteemed guests, 
sign up for our newsletter and get insider scoops on these distinguished personalities. It's like having a backstage pass to their life-changing wisdom. But that's not all. You'll also receive a free hug. You heard me right, a free hug. An enlightening ebook from the Driven Living team. Discover the science-backed benefits of hugging yourself. It's a fill-up for your wellness tank. Because at Driven Living, we believe in fueling your journey to wellness, both physically and psychologically. So what are you waiting for? Visit www.drivenliving.com today. We are talking about empathy and how it ultimately leads and opens the doorway into compassion. And so these are two powerhouses that we need as human beings. And you're talking about how we are empathetic beings. We're energetic beings. And really when we're, we're shining, our brightest is through that compassion and that love. And so this is an incredible topic. Let's start talking a little bit about how do we start navigating that and, and bringing that to the forefront when we're going through our day-to-day lives, when we're in traffic, when we're in, you know, you know, we're leading, uh, you know, a, a, somebody that we're, uh, leading and, and they have all these problems and it's difficult to get to that empathetic state because we just want to tune them out because they're employee that's driving us nuts and they're not doing what they're <laughs> supposed to be doing. And like, why are you even here? All of yeah. those things, right. It can, when we come to like real life scenarios, this yeah. is what happens. So how would you navigate and, and walk somebody through being able yeah. to cultivate that in these heated moments? Well, and that's what, so when I wrote The Empathy Edge, I wanted to offer actionable habits and practices that people could do on a daily basis, on a weekly basis to help them embrace more empathy. And, um, you know, some of those practices include um, the first, the very first one is practicing presence, which is very relatable to the work that you're doing. If we don't have our own house in order, as I mentioned earlier, we have no room to be taking on someone else's perspective and point of view. We're too much into protecting ourselves. So what are ways that you can introduce presence into your life? It could be a daily five to 10 minute mindfulness practice to start your day. It could be deep breathing before a, a you know high stakes conversation or a, a potential uh, contentious conversation or meeting that you're going to have. And Across all the workshops I've ever done and keynotes I've ever done, I get all these different ideas of how people create mindfulness for themselves. And it's not, you know, I, you don't have to go to a, a yoga retreat for a week. You know, it could be, like I said, five to 10 minutes a day. It could be knitting. It could be reading. It could be having a latte not in front of your screen. It could be going for a walk. It could be prayer. It could be running exercising, whatever it takes for you to be in the moment and out of your, you know, hamster mind. And that is what you need to practice when you are going into conversations with people. And I, I highly recommend, I know it's hard, but leave a buffer between your meetings. Try not to spend your whole day rolling from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting because you have no space to regroup and recenter and ground yourself so that you show up sturdy for the next conversation and you show up with an open heart and an open mind for the next conversation. The other great tip is get I good at asking. Hold on just a minute. Because yes. I, oh, I wanna, oh. 
this is just great. I love <laughs> that you started with this. It's yes. beautiful. It certainly is in alignment with what we love to highlight here on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it's a beautiful thing that you bring it up. We've had incredible guests that say the same thing, right? Take that five minute breather and, you know, be able to learn how to become present. And if you mm -hmm. have to go to a retreat, for goodness sakes, to learn how to do, do it, it, do it. You're right. <laughs> but, and, and walking is a beautiful thing, that connection with nature, that just disconnecting from the world in order to just come back to yourself because mm -hmm. we're, we're all living, you know, so far away from that. And then it starts to activate a higher response. And then we're not responding in the manner of which is really beneficial for us. Right. And mm -hmm. I like that you brought it up too, because I just recently created a five minute meditation for exactly that. It's Perfect. called pull over. And so people can, take their lunch break or that in between the meeting and become present. And I just, I thought that that was so powerful and I wanted to present that. And I just knocked out a bunch of them for people to be able to do that. But the point is, is that uh, it's very, very powerful. Sunil Gupta talks about it. And, you know, so many, again, the guests really say that that is an essential piece. So thank you for bringing it up. It also comes into the spiritual aspect of us. And I think very strongly that that is how we start to align more fully is by meeting the spiritual piece first. And empathy is a part of that. Totally, totally. Because, you know, when people say, well, I don't want to be empathetic because I might be perceived as weak. It makes me laugh because to actually be able to hear another person's point of view that might be different from yours and not react with defensiveness or fear actually takes great strength. Yes. And so, like I said, you have to get your own house in order so you are sturdy and can and can take that, take that in and take that on. Not that you're taking on all that person's emotions and problems. Like that's where empathy can get dangerous for people, right? And they get burned out. Um, they get overwhelmed. And this is why I'm writing the second book, The Empathy Dilemma, that's coming in September, because that aligns with what you're saying, April. There's five pillars to being an effective and empathetic person and leader. And that book will discuss those five pillars, the first of which is self-awareness. So, and then the second is self-care. So it's that idea of, yes, empathy is an outward practice. It's about understanding someone else's point of view, but in order to do that in a healthy way and not lose ourselves or burn out or meet it with defensiveness, we've got to take care of ourselves first. Yeah, I think that we are finally starting to make a greater shift in the awareness that self-care is not uh, selfish, mm -hmm. right? That we mm -hmm. have to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first in order yeah. to, you know, respond in a manner that is is really effective. Right, right. And I think that the self-aware, the reason I put self-awareness as the first pillar for the new book is that you actually need to know yourself. And, and you need to know yourself and what recharges you for self-care. And by self-care, I know you're not talking about this either. It's not just mani-pedis. It's not just massages. It's what recharges you, what fuels you, what energizes you. In order for you to know what self-care practices will work, you have to know yourself. So self-awareness is the first step. What are my strengths? What are my blind spots? What are my emotional triggers? What 
lights me up? What drains my energy? All of those are part of self-awareness practices. And the more that you can understand yourself and how you show up in a given situation, the more empathetic you can be because you can proactively go, okay, I'm going into this conversation and I know I'm going to get triggered by X, Y, and Z. So here are some strategies I'm going to employ so that we can actually have a productive conversation. I'm going to ask more questions. I'm going to listen more than I talk. I'm going to try to find common ground. These are all, you know, habits from the empathy edge that I shared with people on how they can, you know, they're sort of like little, little workouts, little reps they can do. And just before I forget one of my favorite ones to build your empathy and that people will really enjoy is to explore with your imagination. So this is your full license to binge on Netflix as much as you want. And the point being consume documentaries, consume um, dramas, consume shows, consume music, art, literature from Mm. people who are not like you. So you can get yourself in the frame of mind of going, oh, what is that person's life like? Mm. What would I do in that situation? How would I feel? Theater and film and art are wonderful ways to, to flex that muscle in a safe environment so that when you go into work and you're trying to be an empathetic leader or an empathetic manager, it's not as high stakes. You're, you're, you're flexing that muscle of getting curious and understanding someone else's point of view without you know injecting your own narrative. You can get that practice by exploring with your imagination. What an incredible action plan. <laughs> that you know that you're offering people to explore because you're right. So you're saying to expand your idea of different cultures, different different ways of being in the world, which does continue to expand and broaden your mind. I mean, when we live in this incredible infinite world, right? That's exactly what happens when we really open up the mind to in that creative state. And it is enlivening because it also opens us up to want to be curious to learn more. And it's that creative state. And that was something that you mentioned earlier too, was to, to be creative about ideas and the way that you want to meet something or or be creative in the things that you do for self-care. Mm-hmm. I think that when we when we are are so caught up in the day and then the day out, we forget what that's like. And I think that if you can't recall what you wanted to be when you grow up, you know, you know, because that's an interesting topic that we've explored a little bit here on the show. And some many, many people don't remember. They, I mean, they don't even take themselves to a place where, oh my gosh, that is actually what I dreamed about, what I was mm-hmm. excited about, the things that I played with and the the make-believe that I experienced mm-hmm. when I was a child and then life happens. But when, you know, if we can't really take ourselves there to maybe know that there's a lot of work that we need to do to open up that creative mind again. Totally. It's that beginner's mind, right? Child's mind or beginner's mind. It's yeah. it's being humble enough. You know, humility and empathy kind of go hand in hand because if you're humble, you can be more empathetic because you can go, oh, there might be another way of seeing this event or this yeah. decision or this perspective. And so having that beginner mind of, of just getting curious enough to go, huh, you know, let me understand why you think the way you think. And have a conversation. Again, like empathy, it does not mean you're agreeing with someone. You're not necessarily condoning it. 
And there is a gentleman named Edwin Rutch who runs the, the Center for Building a Culture of Empathy. And he ran what he called empathy circles. It's a facilitation technique that he teaches for free to anyone in the world. He's trained thousands of people, he and his team. Um, they did empathy circles at an empathy tent at some of the most divisive political rallies over the last few years and got people from opposite sides of the political spectrum into a tent to talk, to listen, not to convert, right? It wasn't about conversion. It was about connection and be able to hear each other and go, I still don't agree with, with you, but I understand why you think that way. And I have a better understanding of you and your experience and your humanity. And many of them would walk away hugging. It was, it was so powerful, this idea of what happens when we can actively listen and know that we, we don't have to walk away in agreement, yeah. but we can walk away with an agreement of our common humanity. Yeah. Something I wanted to bring in with that also goes hand in hand with empathy is forgiveness right? If this is something, a tool that we can utilize in the same kind of play. When we have a difficult time wanting to forgive or being able to forgive, forgiveness doesn't mean that we accept what they did was okay. And it's the same concept, what you're talking about here under the same tent, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you agree with the viewpoints right? or what's been said or done, but you are opening yourself up enough to have an understanding of the where, you know, empathy really can play that part in forgiveness too, where we have mm -hmm. a different sort of perspective on what forgiveness really means and is. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. I mean, it's, it kind of goes back to your parenting analogy, right? I can forgive my child for something they did. It doesn't mean I condone the behavior. It doesn't mean they're allowed to do, go do it again, but I can forgive them because they're learning and they're growing and they're figuring it out. And, you know, maybe now they have learned something they didn't know before. And so that is such a powerful, we we just have to get out of this idea that we're all at war with each other. We're all, you know, every conversation is a con confrontation, right? Every, you know, it's it's like we've lost the ability to have a civil debate and a civil discourse. And it's because, you know, a lot of it is the examples we see on TV and some of the reality shows that show people like hor treating people horribly, right? And so it, it's we we just got to get out of that because we're going to end up just ruining society. <laughs> And, you know, our own well-being, our own, like, happiness for the brief time that we're here on this planet. So um, if we can get out of that idea and just understand that the point is connection, not conversion, that goes a long way. That's really beautiful. You have been such a, wow, you bring so much knowledge and gift to the show here today. Thank you yeah. so much for sharing your insight and your wisdom. I want to make sure that people know where to find you. So we've had it displayed on here a few times, but for those of you listening in, <laughs> red-slice.com. Mm -hmm. And it's always going to be in the description. So for Wonderful. all of you wanting to know more about the incredible guests that we have on the show, please seek them out in the description. Their information is always there. That said, Share with us a little bit about what you are most passionate about. I know that you talked about having this book that's going to be launched in the fall. I'm excited mm -hmm. to hear about that. 
You yes. have a podcast that you're offering to the world to tune into. So yep. let's hear a little bit about the magic that you're creating. Thank you. Um, yeah, I have. So folks can find the Empathy Edge, the existing book, anywhere you find books. It's also at red-slice.com. You can find a link there. But the newest book that's coming out is The Empathy Dilemma, How Successful Leaders Balance Performance, People, and Personal Boundaries. And I like to say that the first book was written for the skeptics. This, this new book coming is written for the converts who are like, yes, this is how I want to operate in the world, but I here's where I'm struggling with that. So that's coming out in the fall. Please go to my website, sign up for my email list, and you'll be the first to know about some exciting launch activities, launch goodies, all the things. Um, and the podcast, of course, is The Empathy Edge. It's found on all the podcast players. I have amazing guests, like I said, who are talking about their work and their experiences from all aspects of empathy. And I always learn something from every single guest, and I know my listeners do too. So tune into that. And other than that, I am booking leadership trainings, keynotes, um, team events. I love to speak and do really dynamic interactive workshops to help people really apply this information and better their lives. Well, you are certainly in alignment with so many of the things that I talk about that I love that are, you know, value packed. And I, I just certainly would want to be learning from you and be in those rooms and go deeper and deeper into all of these things, all of the reasons of why and how we can navigate that. So mm -hmm. you've been an incredible guest. Thank you so much for being our guest here on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. You're welcome. And thank you so much for our audience. Without you, the show wouldn't be possible. So thank you so much for tuning in. Goodbye for now. And we will see you next time.